flipping channels and I, and I get to an infomercial, I can't change the channel quickly because I'm always intrigued to what's going on. And I love, I love the pictures of how things are just so difficult. Like I've never seen anyone had such difficult time doing a sit-up as they do on an infomercial. Just back pain and neck pain and everything turns to black and white. It's so difficult. But yet throughout the course of this infomercial, we see transformation. We see this new tool, this new this new equipment, you know, suddenly this, this man in his 40s, he can't make a salad, he's cutting his fingers off, and all of a sudden he's got these gourmet salads and bright lights, and the world is a fuzzy place, and, and we see this, this great transformation happen in this 15-minute span. And I, I think the reason why I'm always intrigued by infomercials is because I love stories of life transformation. Life transformation stories... It's, it's just like fuel to us. It fills us up. It makes us feel good. And our culture is obsessed with it. We see it everywhere. Life transformation stories, whether it's in pop culture, it's a story of a rags to riches, um, stories in our own lives and our family. We love stories of life transformation. We love to see this metamorphosis from a, from a one, you know, day one to a day four, and whatever that looks like, whether it's two weeks 40 years, we love that story. And I think it's part of how God's made us. There's something inside of us as humans that we like to see this change as people move on and, and grow up. And, and we, we see these stories on TV. We read about these stories on, on, online. We talk about these stories with our friends. And we say, oh, can you believe how much he's changed? Look at how much he's changed. Or this person hasn't changed in 20 years. Or I wish she would change. But we have a lot on our brains with, with change. We want to see this transformation. And what I'm always interested about transformation is the how and the why. How does one person one day change from what they were the previous day or you know, two months earlier? And why? Why did they change? What was the motivation behind the change? What were the steps and what was the motivation behind these changes? Now, a lot of times in these stories, we have what kind of are, are these large turning points of change, almost miraculous sorts of change. We see someone in the family member uh, has an un, un, unfortunate, unexpected death. And the rest of the people in the family member, it's, it's like their whole life goes on hold and we see a radical change. We see something happen. Uh, someone dies from a preventable disease, and we see other people around them all of a sudden, I'm not drinking anymore, I'm not smoking anymore. Big life change going on. We see a teen who almost overdoses, and from that moment on, it kind of flashes in their mind, I'm, ch I'm changing, going cold turkey, new leaf, we're going to have change here. But a lot of times what I found is that more often than not, those kind of big change, massive turning points are usually the exception to the rule. It doesn't happen a whole lot that someone has this one incident that totally flips them around. It's a lot of times just a, a number of smaller incidences that when they look back on their life, they think, wow, that was, that was a big turning point for me. And when I interact with people and I ask them about it, sometimes because I'm curious about these questions of the why and the how of, of change, I ask them, well, what was it? And, I, and I'm surprised a lot of times at the responses you get. Sometimes you'll hear someone say, well, you know, there was this, there was this guy when I was a teenager, and he took me out to pizza a couple of times. That was really impactful on my life. Really? That's it? Like 40 bucks, a guy took you out to pizza twice and listened to you, and somehow that had an impact on your life. Or, or you hear um, someone talk about how they read this book, and this book was just 
so amazing to them. And I think, really, that book? Like, that's a pretty bad book. I've read it. And, but for them, you know, it's just, just a simple book. All of a sudden, it happened. Or someone in their family member. You know, I always knew this family member was praying for me. And that, that was huge for me. Like, really? Just, just prayer. Huh, wow. Just consistent prayer. How, how that happened. And, you know, for myself, I actually find this is, is true for me as well. I haven't had an experience in my life where the clouds parted and God spoke to me through my radio when I was driving one day. It's, it's been a lot of these smaller little incidences that I've looked back and said, that was a pretty simple step of obedience that that person took, but it had a huge impact on my life. And the best example I can think is, is when I was a student in seminary. And I was a student there, I was studying there for a couple of years, and even though I was in seminary, I really had no ambition at the time of going into pastoral ministries. I was kind of there. I loved the classes, knew it was going to be helpful for my own personal development, had no idea what was going to happen afterwards. And so in this one instance, there was a group of students that I would meet with, it was kind of a mentoring, discipleship group, and uh, one of the, the people there, I, I won't even call him a friend because he's more like an acquaintance, he happens to be the senior pastor of a larger church in Abbotsford. And so through the course of giving each other updates on what was going on in life, he kind of said, well, I've got an opportunity, a couple opportunities this summer to go over to Europe for some speaking engagements, and I'm really excited about that, but you know what, I, I'm going to have to find someone to, to preach at my church. And I, I totally said this jokingly. I, I wasn't serious at all because I knew he wouldn't take me up on my offer, and I said, well, you know, I just finished an assignment in my minor prophets class. I wrote a couple of sermons on Malachi. So if you want anyone to preach on Malachi, you know, let me know. Thinking, who preaches on Malachi? People don't want to hear about Malachi. People don't even know where Malachi is. We don't talk about the minor prophets. And he says, we should do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do that. Okay, so I've preached two sermons in my life, and you want me to preach twice every Sunday while you're gone. And this small little incident was a huge turning point in my life. Because now this, this guy who was twice my age, who I totally respected, he, for whatever reason, had faith that somehow I was going to be able to provide something to his church. And I'll never forget it because this experience shaped me. It shaped who I was. It shaped how I thought about my future. It shaped God's call on my life. But at the same time, for every life-transforming moment that I've had, for everything that I can look back on and say, wow, that was an amazing step, no matter how big or how small it was, I know there's got to be at least 10 more times that I've missed an opportunity. 10 other times when I didn't say something or I didn't follow an obedience or, or I didn't take that nudge of the Spirit to talk to someone or listen to someone. And, and these opportunities, sometimes they slip through your fingertips. And I miss out on these opportunities for a number of different reasons. Probably the biggest one for me is I like to rationalize. And I think, well, you know, someone else can do it. Or this isn't my spot right now. A lot of times I get anxious and I worry about it. I don't see how things can all line up. Or I get fearful. Or I, I just procrastinate. I think this, this can't really be for me at this moment. And in my weaker moments, sometimes I think to myself, why haven't I had more of these life-transforming moments in my life? Why don't I have more stories to share about how God spoke to me or, or how this happened and what an amazing thing it was without realizing that sometimes I'm not always faithful in following through on the opportunities that God has given me. Have you ever felt this way? Have you ever felt sometimes that, that your life-transforming stories are, are a bit empty? That you're missing out on what other people seem to be experiencing? Well, there's a, a story that I want to look at, at today in the Bible, and it answers this question in a, in a little bit of a different way. 
And some of you may think, oh, Keith's going to go to Exodus. And he's going to talk about Moses in the Red Sea. And he's going to talk about a massive life-transforming moment and how people walked on dry land as the sea parted and the Egyptians were all killed and they were saved. And obviously I'm not going there because this is theoretically here now, right? But, but the interesting thing about that story is it didn't really change many of the people. They had this incredible experience. They all experienced this together. And then in a matter of, of weeks or months or years, not quite sure what the time frame looks like, they're grumbling and they want to go, go back to Egypt. That didn't change them. We could look at the book of Acts and the Apostle Paul, who before he gave his life to the Lord, he was out persecuting Christians. And we had God act divinely. Jesus appeared to him in bright light, literally stopped him in his tracks and completely transformed his life. But instead of looking at either one of those stories, we're going to look within our series at the book of 3 John. So if you have your Bibles, look at the book of 3 John. And what's intriguing about this book is a couple of things. First of all, as, as Brad mentioned a few weeks ago, this is the shortest book in the whole Bible, by word count. Now, if you're a stickler and you're going to look at verses, then that's 2 John. But by word count, and we should all be counting every word in all of the books of the Bible. This is something that's important to do. By word count, this is the shortest book in the entire Bible. And what it's a, a, a book about is actually the story that we're going to look at is small steps of obedience. Small steps of obedience. And what's interesting about this, and we're going to see this in just a moment as we get into the text, is this book really sounds like a thank you note. Now, I grabbed this thank you note off my off my desk earlier this morning. This is a thank you note from my mother-in-law to my wife. And uh, I think I'm in there too. Yeah, I'm, I'm named in there too. And Hudson's named in there prominently. It's mostly a thank you note to him. But this, this book that we're about to, about to look at, it reads like a thank you note. And it's short enough that you could probably write the whole thing in a thank you note. And it's about uh, John, the author, to his fellow servant in the Lord, his name is Gaius. And basically, he's thanking him for a number of things, and he gives him a few pieces of instruction as well. But keep in mind this tone of gratitude that he has. So this is the book of 3 John. We're going to start in verse 1. And uh, these are John's words to his friend. So he says, the elder, he names himself as the elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell you about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. I'm going to stop there for a minute because uh, we already have a couple of words that are repeated here. We hear faithfulness and we hear truth. And this is the, the gratitude part that we hear at the beginning of a note, just like when you and I write a note to someone, usually start off by saying, Thanks for the sweater I got. Thanks for your hospitality. Right away, he jumps right in. Thank you. And he's saying, thank you for your faithfulness. You're an individual who is walking, walking with purpose, and you're being obedient to God. And he uses the word truth. You're following after the truth. You continue to walk in the truth. And then verse 4, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And this really sounds like, like a parental thing to say, doesn't it? I mean, he's taking pride in the actions of Gaius. He's, he's saying, I am just swelling up with pride because of your faithfulness, your faithfulness to following Jesus. And I'm so proud of you. And it, and it sounds just like a mother who would be taking pride in her daughter or maybe a grandfather and one of his grandchildren. He's, just, he's swelling with pride. He's so excited about what Gaius is doing. 
And uh, what John is, uh, is about to explain here is that his actions, his obedient actions, don't just have a bearing on his own life, but they have a bearing on other people's lives as well. And that's what we're going to get into in verse 5, a taste of the bigger story that's happening. In verse 5, he says again to Gaius, You are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. You will do well to send them on their way in a matter worthy of God. And so now he's talking about a, a, a little bit of a background story. Now, in, in my version here, the NIV, they're listed as brothers. If you're looking at the New Living Translation, it might be uh, coming out as traveling teachers. And what we seem to understand is that there was missionaries. There was people that John knew who went to the region where Gaius lives. And these were these traveling teachers, and Gaius apparently has been hospitable to them. He's opened up his home, and he's been faithful to them. And he's gotten word back from them because they've come back and they've said, hey, your friend Gaius, he's doing well. He's being obedient to the scriptures. He's faithful and following after God. And he was extremely generous to me. And when he says, you'll do well to send them on their way, that's kind of old school Bible talk for please keep it going. It's kind of a request to keep this happening. So thanks, Gaius. Appreciate it. And if you could also provide them with some food and money when they come back again for their extended travels, then I'd encourage you to do so. That would be even more uh, helpful to our mission. And this is kind of similar in a way to what happened here at Jericho Ridge a couple of months ago in July. Do you guys remember how the larger MB conference celebrated 150 years together as a church family? And we had people from all over Canada and the United States and even around the world who came into Langley and Surrey to celebrate this together as a church family. And we had a couple of, of people who came over from India. The conference of Mennonite Brethren over there in India, they came. And we had, um, we had them here at our church for a couple of weeks. And we had people here in our church who opened up their home graciously and said, come, come stay in our home. Now, they're strangers, just like Gaius here in, in this situation. Never met them before, have no idea who these people are. But there's this bond between them because they're fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, uh, again, it's that, that um, encouragement. Keep doing this. What you're doing in faithfulness is impacting the people around you. Your faithful hospitality is making their teaching ministry possible. What you do is empowering them to do their God-given mission. And then in verses 7 and 8, this is where we actually see some of the motivation behind what happens. And, and that's what we were asking before, the what and the how of, of what's going on here. And we see here in verse 7 that it was for the sake of the name. It's an interesting phrase here. It was for the sake of the name that they went out. He's speaking again about these traveling teachers. Receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitalities to such men so that me, we may work together for the truth. Now, the book of 3 John is the only book in the New Testament where Jesus is not named. His name doesn't appear there, and we're not really sure why. You know, it might be kind of similar to what we do at Jericho Ridge when we have missionaries who live in a context that is very hostile towards the faith, and maybe John's taken some extra precautions here, and he's not going to name Jesus by name. Who knows? But probably a more likely sense is he uses the, this phrase, the name, to, to kind of talk about the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he does this in, in his first letter, and it's done a few other times in the Gospels as well. The sake of the name, this name, this aura, this power, is what is propelling these traveling missionaries to go out. That's their motivation. 
And for whatever reason, John indicates that they're receiving no help from unbelievers. The, the pagans are not getting help from them. So we don't know if they're refusing help because maybe they think, you know what, if we get help from these people who serve these different gods and maybe there's some confusion here. We don't know if they were unwilling. But for whatever reason, we find out that they're relying solely on other people to provide them with their needs so that they can do their ministry. And we see as well that... that um, Gaius here, he also has motivation for doing this. And it's this same motivation here. He shows hospitality towards these travelers because he understands that he is working together with them for the sake of the name. And we see that here in our text, that they work together, verse 8, for the truth. They work together for the truth. And truth, which has been mentioned many times just in these eight verses that we've looked at, it's more than just a sense of something that is not a lie. It's more than just an affirmation of what is right. Truth actually becomes an entity in the scriptures many times. When truth is named, it's actually an embodiment. It's part of the living God. And so what we, what we find here in this text is that Gaius, by taking these simple steps of obedience, by opening up his home, by letting the, these traveling teachers stay there and giving them food and money, he's actually now partnering with the Holy Spirit himself. He's partnering with God to make this ministry of these teachers possible. And they're all working together. And, and so we get a sense that now all these individuals are working together for the sake of the, of the name. And it's all made possible through simple acts of obedience. The faithfulness of Gaius empowers the traveling teachers to accomplish their God-given mission. And the faithful obedience of the missionaries gives them opportunities then to spread the gospel to the people around them. And we see that faithfulness, faithfulness ignites life-changing stories. Faithfulness ignites life-changing stories. Now, it's more natural for us, certainly more natural for me at least, to think that we're responsible for some of these life-changing stories. That when we put in extra time and when we put in extra effort and when we're more diligent and, and, and when we do all this stuff, we have the capabilities to kind of spark life change. We provide the opportunities to see other people transformed. We provide ourselves with the opportunities to see ourselves become better. But we see here in the text that it's all done for the sake of the name. It's all done through God's Spirit, through people. It's our simple acts of obedience, obedience to the name that then opens up our hearts for God to enter our hearts and to change us from the, from the inside out. In the book of Romans, we, we learn about transformation. And we learn that transformation isn't done by us. Transformation is done through God. It's done through the renewing of our minds, by our minds being opened up to God's ways. And we are then transformed. We are changed. We have stories of life changed because of what God does through us. But it requires us to submit to him. It requires us to be obedient and to follow these simple acts of obedience to him. I want to give you another example of, of how this works outside of, of the text. And so I'm going to call Allie and Spencer Lafleur to come up. Uh, many of you know Allie and Spencer. And this is an awesome story. I'm pretty pumped to share this. They're going to share it, but I might interrupt them a few times. Uh, Allie and Spencer, just earlier this year, and this is not a huge window of time either. This is... They can clarify this. It's probably just a, a couple of months. But they came up with an idea of why don't we go to the Gateway of Hope for a, for a short amount of time every week 
and, uh, and use our gifts to help the people there. And so as they interacted with their life group and a few other friends, they, they grabbed a, a number of other people who said, we want to do this too. And so, um, what, Ali, can you just kind of explain, where did you get this idea to, to serve at the Gateway of Hope, and then kind of where did it go from there? Sure. Okay, so is this on? You are on. Okay. So um, we decided, um, a few of us actually in our life group, we were talking about how we could help and somehow serve in our community and um, just do something to help others. So um, we heard about the Gateway of Hope opening in Langley, and uh, it's a facility that helps homeless people and provides them with a place to stay and provides them with meals. And um, when we heard about the Gateway of Hope opening in Langley, we decided to check out their website, and I was amazed to see that um, how many homeless people actually live in Langley. I guess I always associated homeless people with living in downtown Vancouver in the east side or just somewhere else, not right in our backyard. So I was pretty ignorant to that. So when we saw that on the website and we already had this desire to want to help in some way, it just seemed like really good timing. So we decided to um, go to the open house at the Gateway of Hope. And um, after going to the open house, I personally was really excited about serving there because um, it was just a neat facility and uh, they used lots of resources. They have... Um, Trinity Western students who volunteered to do counseling there for the people who are staying more long-term. They uh, use students from um, Kwatlin University who are in the horticultural program to grow vegetables on the roof and just all kinds of exciting stuff that I think is just really smart to um, use all those resources that are nearby. So um, when we found, well, after going to the open house, we decided that we were interested in helping out in some way. and. Uh, um, us, along with a few couples from our life group and a couple other people from the church, we decided that we would go on a rotation, um, rotate Saturdays and volunteer at the Gateway of Hope. And you did this for four months about? Was that about the time frame, um, somewhere around there? We started in January and we did it um, through August, so I guess okay. eight months. Okay. Yeah. And um, Spencer, we'll turn the mic over to you. What I mean, it's hard sometimes to, to look in retrospect, but what was the motivation behind getting involved? Sure. Um, well, thinking back to it, uh, one of the, f well, I guess the second thing, I'll go back to the first thing after. The second thing was uh, in the summer of 2009, uh, there was a good sermon. Uh, Keith, you might remember it well. It was called, Who is the Greatest? And, I don't, uh, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Did Brad preach that or... Yeah, I, you know, I'm not sure exactly, but uh, it, it, was, it was excellent. And anyway, it spoke to us, and, and the whole idea there was uh, if you want to be first, you have to put yourself last mm. and uh, be servant of all. And, you know, that really spoke to us. Um, but I think God had been working in us for some time. Um, perhaps it started with um, Andrew and Colleen Birkinshaw, mm. and uh, they were part of our life group that year, and just seeing them heading off to Nepal and their faithfulness and, you know, just you know, get, getting rid of everything over here and heading over to Nepal and just being you know, totally trusting in God. So it was that. And then, um, so then it just came down to the barriers. There are a few barriers, of course, there are all excuses to getting out and serving. But, um, you know, for us, it was time. We had just had Ella and um, we didn't think we could, you know, commit every Saturday. But uh, like Ali said, we talked to our life group about it and everybody was on board. So it was, it was very affirming. And then, um, yeah, that was pretty much it. Um, we, we committed to a schedule. Ali got a schedule going and, and uh, away we went. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys. Um, have a seat. Thanks for sharing. And now I get to share the second part of the story. 
because that in and of itself is a good story. But then um, just a couple of months ago, we uh, here at Jericho Ridge, we happened upon a, a person by the name of, of Parveen. I don't think she's here today. Uh, she hasn't been feeling well, and so she wasn't able to make it. But I spoke with her during the week, and I've gotten to know her a little bit better over the past uh, month or so. So Parveen, she gave her life to the Lord, I think in the early part of, of 2010, maybe towards the end of 2009, through the Alpha program. So Parveen, in a, in a similar way to Spencer and Allie, she felt motivated to, to go and serve. And in her words, uh, she said that um, she felt it was really important to, to go and to display God's love and work to the city. And so she found out about Gateway of Hope, and she began serving there. And as she's told me, she's just, she loves it. She still serves there, and, and she loves to interact with the staff and with the volunteers, but especially with the people who live at the Gateway of Hope. So as it would happen, as Saturdays go around, she starts to meet people from Jericho Ridge who are volunteering at the Gateway of Hope. And again, these are her words. She says, each week, I would meet one fantastic couple after another, all from the same church, Jericho Ridge. I felt a special bond with the people from Jericho, especially Allie and Spencer, and together we began to discuss life and faith and God's work. I felt like these couples all displayed the fruit of the Holy Spirit. They were very genuine, non-judgmental people, and they glowed with joy and love. That is what compelled me to come to JRCC. So we get a picture of just simple steps of obedience. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> and it starts, it starts with a few people, whether it's Andrew and Colleen, whether it's people in small groups, and then it gets, it gets developed from there. People use their gifts, and they go and they interact with others, and they meet other people, and they share the love of God. And all of a sudden, it grows. And it's not us. It's just our simple steps of obedience. And we get, we get these little sparks of life transformation, and it happens through faithfulness. Faithfulness ignites life-changing stories. And we heard, one, we heard one here today. And it's just amazing to see how God puts it at work. And we can't do it alone. It's God's grace. It's God's grace that makes it happen. It's God's grace that enables us to be transformed by him. And together we see the fruit of that together. Now sometimes we get a chance to witness this story. Sometimes we get to see the beginning, the middle, and the end as, as we have here with the story of the Gateway of Hope. Sometimes we see that again in, in the book of, of Third John. And, and I've looked at this and I've thought, what if Gaius never got this thank you letter? You know, maybe he has no idea what his faithfulness has done to these travelers. And and yet we, we get a sense in, in this story that, that we do see that encouragement. We do see how that continues to go forth. But so many times in our life, we don't see the end of the story. We don't know how our simple acts of obedience, how our faithfulness to the name can impact other people. We don't always know how that happens. But yet the Spirit can work its way through our lives as we follow Him in obedience. Faithfulness begins by following God. And for you today, um, I think there's a couple of, of applications that, that would be appropriate. One is you, you might want to write your own thank you card. You might think about your life, some of the life-changing moments that you've had, and you recognize this was a simple act of obedience by someone else. 
This was someone responding to God's call to serve, to help, to be generous. And I want to affirm that. And I want not only to just affirm it, but to keep them motivated, to keep them going forward for the sake of the name, to see what sort of transformation we can continue to see in other people's lives. Another thing that might be helpful is is just to reflect on how you can hear best from God and how you can make sure that you don't miss out on these opportunities to be transformed yourself or, or to be part of the story of someone else's life transformation process. And so as you go about your week and, and as you uh, interact with, with other people in other situations, ask yourself, what can I do to be faithful? What does faithfulness to God's call look like in this specific situation? How can my faithfulness ignite a life-changing story? There might be uh, people here today who don't know what faithfulness looks like. Or perhaps you're in a a situation in your life where you aren't sure what life transformation looks like and you've come today and and you'd love to experience life transformation. You don't know where to start. You're not sure what to do. Well, the Word of God says that when we call upon the name of the Lord, we will be saved. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And when we surrender our lives to Him, when we open up our life and say, Lord, I don't want to control this anymore. I can't do this on my own. The Spirit begins to do a work inside each and every one of us and transforms us, transforms us into followers of Christ who are then capable of producing fruit, who are capable of making impact on other lives. If that's you this morning, I'd I'd ask that you stick around and, and chat with myself, Pastor Brad, or some others from our prayer team, because we don't want you to miss out on this opportunity to experience the life-changing power of the name. So do it. Be faithful so that you can, seed, uh, you can sow seeds for change. Do it for the sake of his name. Let's uh, conclude this morning with prayer. <clears throat> Lord God, you are faithful and just. But so many times in our life, we fall short. We stumble and we're not sure how to get back up. We're not sure what we can do next. And Lord, we're here today because we understand that we need to be renewed. We need to be changed. We need to experience you in our life. And we need your power in order to change. And so God, as we go about our week, as we go about today, may you open up our eyes to see opportunities for change. May you help us understand how we can partner with other people, whether they're your followers, whether it's an organization, whether it's here at the church, whether they're neighbors. Lord, help us know how we can partner together for the sake of your name. And Lord, I pray that you would keep us motivated by your name, that everything we do, just like we sang this morning together, everything we would do would be because of our love for you, that we'd be motivated to serve you in every aspect of our lives. We thank you for your incredible grace, Lord, and for your salvation. And we celebrate this in your name, God. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us this morning. Hope you have an awesome afternoon and great time celebrating the festivities with neighbors or friends. And as a reminder, if you want to get connected in a coffee garage, we have host locations that are printed over there at the back table so you can drop by and interact with them if you would like. And uh, please stick around and interact with the people around you. Uh, We do have people available here to pray with you if you would like. Thanks so much.